Welcome to today's episode of The Growth Zone. I am Christian Bartsch. What is the core benefit of listening to this show? Business leaders in corporate and privately held companies gain insights into trends and strategies that provide them with a competitive advantage in the marketplace. Each episode focuses on an area such as marketing, sales, innovation or funding. That is absolutely critical to the growth of companies, whether they are startups or corporate global players, where management needs to juggle the challenges of market entry or knowing how to navigate the uncertainties of disruptive developments. Mindfeeding is where clarity evolves and helps solving organizational challenges. For those who listen to the entire episode, I have a special surprise gift. I am working on some great guests that are industry leaders in management, innovation and marketing. Let's get started on today's episode. Today I am with Steve Schmider and he's based in Vermont in New England. So what's our topic today? How corporate sustainability impacts the way products and services are delivered to the marketplace. But before we go in deeper, Steve, can you tell us a little bit more about yourself? Sure, Christian, and thank you so much for the opportunity to speak with you today. Um, so yeah, a uh, little bit of my background. I was, um, I was a Russian literature major in university, so I was set up to be gamefully unemployed. Um, but uh, while I was in university, the Soviet Union collapsed, and I uh, was actually able to get a job promoting democracy uh, in Central Asia back in the early mid-90s, and ended up uh, being sent out to, to Kyrgyzstan for, for two months and stayed for two years, met my wife, uh, then later moved, uh, uh, running a foundation to Kazakhstan and later Russia, And it was there that I got the idea for the firm that I've since launched called Resonance. Um, Resonance is, you know, Resonance is a corporate sustainability and global development firm. Uh, we're based here in Vermont, uh, but with offices in D.C. Uh, and on the West Coast in Seattle. We've worked in about 93 countries around the world. And uh, we help companies and clients solve, solve big problems by working together. So that's a little bit about me and a little bit about my, my, the, my company. That sounds really interesting and uh, great. And I think you said that you do as well, um, you are involved as well in all different areas where you have corporates as well, especially with uh, relationships and, and, and uh, more sustainability, agriculture, growers, and so on and that. Yeah, that, that's right, Christian. So our, our sort of sweet spot is uh, we recognize that a lot of problems on the sustainability agenda are not things that, that companies can tackle on their own, right? That the nature of the problem, if a company is trying to tackle climate change, it certainly cannot tackle that on its own. It needs to collaborate with governments. It needs to collaborate with communities, with nonprofits and so forth. And what we do is help bring folks together around sustainability questions, um, companies, nonprofits, investors, governments, uh, to try to to try to tackle these types of problems. And so um, climate change is one example. Another example might be human trafficking in corporate supply chains. 
huge issue globally, uh, very, very tricky to handle, and not one that companies can realistically solve just by themselves. They need to work uh, in collaboration. And so we bring folks together, we do the facilitation, we help folks unpack how to work together, and then we help them uh, implement their, their partnerships together. Great. So uh, how's your view on corporate sustainability? I think we've seen an evolution, Christian, where, you know, 15, 20 years ago, uh, to the extent anybody was thinking about corporate sustainability, it was really a peripheral topic. It was mostly thought as a compliance exercise. I think if you go to where we are today, I think it's increasingly clear that corporate sustainability is very much central to most companies' agendas these days. Um, and I think where we're headed is that in a few years, you know, corporate sustainability won't be distinguishable from corporate strategy, right? The, the effects of climate change, the effects of, you know, um, on our food systems and, and, and so forth are such that almost every company in the world will have to have sustainability embedded in their strategy to such an extent that it will be indistinguishable from the strategy itself. Uh, I think this is a very exciting thing. Um, I think it's an opportunity to really leverage the power of the private sector to, to help tackle some of the big problems we're facing. But it is something, if you're a corporate leader, that it, it, it's also a major challenge. Yeah, and, and when I think of it, uh, just in thinking of that, it reminds me that actually at the moment, most companies that you visually see a lot doing that are companies that have to do somehow with chocolate or with coffee. These are traditional places or at least the businesses that started really taking that serious because that's usually the most visible that we see. But what other sectors are there as well um, that are usually affected by this kind of drive or trend towards corporate sustainability? Uh, Christian, I think that's exactly right. I mean, I would say if you were to go back 20 years ago, the first industries to get serious about this, ironically, were among the most polluting. And that was that was frankly extractive industries, mining oil and gas. They started to get very serious, at least about the community sides of corporate sustainability very early on. I think in agriculture, because of climate change, um, you are seeing companies across the agriculture space. I mean, it's You know, cocoa has a unique issue around human um, uh, forced labor and child labor. So it also got early scrutiny. Coffee has fewer of those sorts of issues, but um, has some is significantly vulnerable to climate change. Um, and then you have the fair trade agenda as well, making sure that farmers are, are paid adequately uh, and fairly for for the for their work. So and then if we look. At other industries, I think right now you're seeing in the technology space, the entire tech industry is grappling with this. Uh, you see companies such as Microsoft have announced not, not just hitting zero, but being carbon negative uh, within a certain number of years. I think um, you're also seeing this in finance where you have, um, you know, you have folks, um, you know, st starting to put more and more ESG requirements on on their uh the things that the the investments they're making and so i think what we're seeing is it sort of goes industry by industry by industry um depending on the level of exposure of the industry to various consumer forces there are forces from regulators but there are also forces from things like your employees right a lot of this is driven by 
the quest for talent, right? That the best talent in the world right now wants to work for companies that are trying to do good in the world, or at least trying not to do harm, right? And so when that's the case, companies have to get on that agenda or they're not going to have access to the talent they need to grow. And so those are some of the things that I think are, are impacting the space. Yeah, I think so as well, because when you think, for instance, the generation of the millennials and so on, they're all very purpose-driven. And, and if a company hasn't really a purpose that's in alignment with their own values and their own desires, there isn't really much for them to offer. And, and some companies still believe they can maybe get people by paying more money. That might work for a while, but eventually uh, it'll run, run out because it doesn't make much sense and uh, others, of course, will notice this is somehow not sustainable. Or if people think, oh, yeah, well, they told me, they promised me, mm -hmm, and then maybe a year on, you know, this, this isn't what I really expected, it, they leave, they'll find a different place where they are more happier because it's not always all about pay. Um, and <sighs> When I think, when you say all these things about all these different indices in that, um, I as a kid, I lived as well, um, for six years in South America. And I know how, um, poor there were the people who were living there. And, uh, as well, of course, when you think of it, there's so much culture. We used to pay, I think, one dollar for a whole big bunch of bananas would be, I think maybe 120 bananas or so, even more. I'm not quite yeah. sure for one dollar. And when you think if you go in the US or in Germany and so on at that time, you would have paid for one entire banana at least uh, $1. So the discrepancy between 120 bananas for $1 and one banana for $1, which is quite an exchange rate. Of course, there's transport costs and, and, and so on and, and shipping and everything. But this, this extreme discrepancy, shows that there's obviously a need for people to have a different view of things, not only having fair trade things, but as well more other kind of better incentives and better ways of doing business instead of, of this kind of idea that they can, t um, let's say, <sighs> extortion isn't the right word, but I'm not quite sure. It's, it's just not the right way of doing business. It's not sustainable in the long run. No, that, that, that's absolutely right, Christian. I think what we see, for example, your example of the bananas is a really uh, is, is a really excellent one. I think what we're seeing with a lot of companies that sor are sourcing agricultural products is that they're undergoing a, a fundamental shift. And a lot of this is driven, it's driven by consumer, you know, sort of demands for, to behave better, but also uh, some of the, these issues around climate change. So, for example, if let's say you're um, a company, um, you know, a multinational company that in agriculture that's looking to reduce its carbon footprint. Well, odds are the bulk of your footprint is coming from uh, the, the farms where you're sourcing your products from. That's agriculture is a huge emitter. I think it's the third or fourth largest emitter uh, globally. And so if you're going to address issues of 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 improving, you know, the carbon performance of a farm, you have to work directly with the farmers. These are not easy changes to make. There are a lot of, you know, to move from a traditional agriculture mindset to what's now being called regenerative agriculture, right? Where we're not just trying to just grow stuff. We're actually trying to use agriculture to improve the soil, improve the land, 
make environmental improvements, decarbonize, right? All of that requires very strong and direct relationships with your farmers, which you're never going to have if you are treating them badly in, in the marketplace, right? They need to be seen as partners, right, for these companies, not as, as just merely vendors, if you will. And so what we see in company after company that we work with in the agriculture space is they're really trying to understand how to better work with farmers. Sometimes that's establishing longer term contracts, right? There, there are companies, you know, that some companies now are doing 20, 25 year contracts with their farmers, which is unheard of, right? Like it's, uh, it almost, uh, you know, that's like a mortgage on a house practically. Um, and so that's what we're seeing is like, I think this move away from maybe what you saw growing up, right, in South America towards a model that's more equitable, more sustainable, and hopefully, frankly, it works out better for everyone. Yes, exactly. And when you think of it, now everybody's talking about uh, hydrogen, electric cars, and so on. We're talking about batteries, and there's lots of uh, stuff that is taken out of the ground and people are working in really bad conditions in some countries. And sometimes it's even children where we then actually have to decide and realize, do we want to buy these products? And as well to think, okay, are we able actually by our buying decision to really influence the company, the manufacturer decides, okay, I'm not going to do anything with this kind of unethical business activities. My products, I'm going to get them to be clean. I don't want to do that. So that's something where then eventually I can imagine that uh, consumers and, and buyers and even other companies are willing to put a certain kind of impact. Because if a company wants to be themselves um, sustainable and clean, they have to as well, of course, not only imp impact uh, or at least f force or motivate the suppliers that are maybe supplying their, their cocoa or the coffee beans and so on, they have to impact as well all the companies who maybe supply them trucks, who supply them the material, the packaging and so on, which are companies that maybe not based in places like South America, South America or Africa, but places in Europe, in North America and that, even they, that they don't pollute the rivers and other stuff. Um, that's, a, that's a good way to start. It is. I mean, I think what we're seeing, Christian, you raise a really good point around the batteries and electronics generally, right? Where we're extracting, we're using these exotic metals that are largely sourced in some very, very rough places, you know, places like the uh, Democratic Republic of Congo, right? Where, where you end up having children working in these, these mine pits under, in horrific conditions. I think what we're seeing is one that consumers are much more aware of this sort of phenomenon. The other thing is, I think what you're seeing is companies recognizing that uh, that model generally may not be sustainable under any set of circumstances. And what they're trying to do is increase circularity in their business models. So maybe rather than going to Central Africa to get uh, rare earth metals, things like cobalt and stuff like that, um, you are working with your, uh, within your existing sort of product set to handle end of life, uh, issues for your products better so that you can recover the metals, right? Recover the materials and recycle them just the way, you know, um, actually the automotive industry has generally done a good job around automotive recycling, right? There's a lot of reuse and recycling in the automotive industry. If we start to think about that, right, more broadly, like how do we make 
you know, different types of consumer products or even be, uh, business products much more circular in nature, such that we're reducing the negative impacts um, uh, on communities and we're also, you know, uh, benefiting the environment by, by reducing the amount of extraction. And so I think these are, these are areas where you do have some companies that are really, I think, um, in part due to leadership, frankly. I mean, I think leadership really matters. Uh, you have some companies that are, you know, really at the forefront of this and, and trying to, to move the needle. Yeah, absolutely. And when you think of it, it's not just the, the companies who supply the materials, the companies who produce a product, let's say it's a coffee or chocolate or whatever, or even if it's a software, it's as well in the end as well the next section in the whole food chain, the retailer actually, or mm -hmm. the, the distributor as well, where they even have to think, okay, how do I want to handle this stuff? How do I want to actually supply? Uh, you can have a shop that is very cost efficient and very attractive Or you can have as well a shop that is not cost efficient and is um, rather bad for the environment and for the community as well, because eventually, whatever they're dumping somewhere or wasting or other stuff, um, someone at the end of the day will eventually uh, notice the pain that comes from whatever thing is being done um, against what you'd want to have in today's business world. No, I, I think that's that's completely correct. And I think, you know, for the forces facing companies on the sustainability agenda are are somewhat distinct, right? For consumer facing companies like retailers, right? It's really that consumer pressure that what how do they perceive the, the, the products, their impact on the environment or the retail location, as you said, that sort of thing. Then you have uh, suppliers and more B2B companies where the drivers are often still coming from the more consumer-facing side or they're coming from the investors, right? Where the investors are coming in and saying, hey, look, you know, this, is a this isn't just, you know, not good for the world. It it's actually a business risk, right? And it's an investment risk. And we're not going to tolerate this type of, of, of bad environmental or bad social behavior anymore. And then on top of that, you get regulators, right, that, that – Are, you know, I think the EU has been very, very much in the lead on this. I think the U.S. has some, some catching up to do. Um, but in really trying to help drive investor behavior towards more sustainable investments and deploying capital into things that, that, that have less damage to the environment, but still yield the, the, the returns that investors need, right, to fund pension funds and all that, all that stuff. Exactly. And when you even think, even if it's just that you're looking just at a software company, there's so many areas where um, past maybe there was a lack of sustainability, whether they were outsourcing to, to work uh, to companies who were, had like hundreds of programmers working under rather bad conditions, or whether they've got a data center that's just uh, wasting a lot of energy and is located in an area where it's extremely hot and where, where that maybe water is an issue, but because uh, land is so cheap, they just prefer to do it. And then, of course, the community nearby is suffering because they have a lack of water, they can't do proper agriculture. Uh, they keep having issues with water in any kind of way. And uh, that's something where even in those areas where the company itself actually isn't putting anything into the earth badly, but they're taking out too much in a rather wasteful way, an unsensible way. 
Yeah, I, I mean, I look, I think when you're talking about data centers in the tech industry, I mean, I think the tech industry faces two large problems, and I think you've hit on both of them. One is, yes, around data centers, that there are big climate issues, um, and there are community issues, right? Uh, the climate issues are, yes, clearly they require a lot of energy, typically a lot of water for cooling. Th- those are big problems. They're also community problems, right? These are trillion dollar companies and a data center going into a community might that costs a quarter billion dollars might create eight jobs, right? And mm. most of those, uh, probably seven of those are security or janitorial, yeah. right? you know, and, and not really meaningful economic development. And I think, you know, with, with tech, so much of the value has been accrued to so few people that they've actually created, become their own, you know, they've got an enormous problem on their hands that they're going to have to address, I think, in the, in the coming decade or so. And I think what's encouraging is, I would say, five, six years ago, the tech community was in total denial. Like you go out to Silicon Valley and they had the solution to everything. I think they've been humbled uh, by events over the last um, uh, four or five years. They still have a ways to go. I would say. Um, but you do see some companies way out in front. I think, you know, a company like Microsoft, which has, uh, you know, been around for a fair amount of time, but takes this stuff pretty seriously. They tend to be a little bit more out in front. And then you have some other companies that I think are, are now trying to catch up. Um, but it's it, the tech industry, I, I think you, nail on, you hit the nail on the head. They, they're facing some huge issues. Yes, absolutely. And when you think of it, uh, corporate sustainability, it really impacts um, the way that people do um, the business, how the way the way they actually bring their products and the services to the market. Because even if we look in technology, um, like 20, 30 years ago, when you used to buy software, you had to buy a box. You'd go to a retailer or you get it delivered by mail or whatever. This box, it had CDs, discs, floppy disks, whatever, lots of booklets and everything. And nowadays, you just get it all online, which means, of course, people are working at home to a certain degree in proper conditions. But if the management idea of the way the management's idea of how they treat their own employees, how they manage, how they lead and how they manage teams as well, if that's uh, really badly built up, then they, of course, create as well a lot of stress in their employees because they're trying to be control freaks and other kind of stuff instead of trust and and. Uh, communicating in a proper way instead of uh, actually being much more um, advanced in the way they're still acting as if we'd be in the 20s which is crazy like <laughs> business style like 100 years ago i mean think of it yes i have webcams and everything today and i can uh, monitor all my employees but what's the point have i got time actually to keep watching What's he doing? Is he just doing this or that? Or is he having a coffee? Or is in the coffee maybe vodka or whatever? Uh, that's not the thing we should be caring about. We should be caring that the results are good, what they deliver, that stuff works properly. They don't get all in each other into a row or discussion. And not everybody uh, creates code or other kind of products that don't work together. It's like producing your, your can of baked beans. And then in the end, you, you fill the beans into the can And you suddenly notice the lid doesn't fit. Uh, the baked beans are far too much. They they, they they don't even fit into the can. They just <laughs> the can is too small. 
So that, that's something where you have to get people to work together and as well see how can we be more efficient as well, even with our own, our resources where we theoretically are not creating garbage, not wasting. But even in a home office, if you're demanding for people to send in a lot of documents and paper or print the stuff out and sign it and then scan it in and send it again. And then, of course, for legal purpose compliance, please print it out and sign it again and ship it with the mail. That's silly. That's silly in today's time. We don't need this. And yeah, so where are the areas, in your opinion, where uh, companies and all those different um, sections, where can these corporate companies expand the sustainability in that field? I think there are a few areas and, and I, you know, Christian, I think you're absolutely right. Like, you know, the, the home office and the working from home that, that knowledge workers have been able to do over the last 18 months has been, I would say, um, a mixed bag from a sustainability standpoint, right? I think there are some huge potential upsides. And I think one of those is, is for example, I don't think business travel is going to come back at quite the tempo that it used to be at, right? Like I think mm -hmm. the threshold to get people on planes um, has gone up not insignificantly, right? Like where as maybe 18 months ago, if you had a, a somewhat important meeting in a city, you would jump on a plane, fly there, have the meeting, spend the night, turn around and fly back. Now you might say, well, maybe I'll do that over Zoom, right? Um and you reduce the amount of travel. So I think that's been a plus side. I think you're hitting on some of the negatives, you know, in terms of paper and, and shipping costs and things like that, that, that are, are there. And then I think there's also the, the, the psychological elements to all of this. I mean, at the end of the day, a, a company is only sustainable if its employees can be really productive and, and, and content. And I think, Working from home has some benefits, but we also have to recognize that for, for a lot of folks, it can be very hard. Uh, it can be very hard if your family situation is challenging. It can also be really hard if you're early in your career. And this is something we're working on very actively inside Resonance, my company, where we have a lot of young people that really need to be building the networks and need the mentoring right, to, to build a, a strong career, right, whether within the company or, or within the industry. And that's kind of hard when you don't have that sort of informal networking going on because everybody is is work, is working over over their computer. And so I think companies need to become very intentional about ma mentoring, making sure they're if they're working remote that they're empowering their staff, that they're also building social capital, figuring out ways to do it. And I I I would say this is something we're working on. I don't think we have like the the magic formula yet. Uh, but I think this is going to be an issue that emerges as a lot of companies never really go back to the office, right? Like I think we're, we're, our company is not going back to the office, for example. We're going to do a hybrid arrangement. We'll have offices, but th there'll be limited expectations for office presence. But that means we then need to make sure we're give, giving folks these mentoring and development opportunities. Yeah, exactly. And that's why when you think of it, what do you think is the most uh, important asset nowadays, non-human asset inside a company? I, I think know-how, not strictly speaking technology or intellectual property, but it's know-how and, I, well, I would say know-how and social capital. Yeah, I think, exactly. And, yeah. and then the coffee machine as well. 
<laughs> yeah, well, yeah, yeah because uh, that's yeah. where everybody meets up. Somebody has a problem, they discuss it with others, others put in their input, their ideas, the person goes back and suddenly, boom, they have an idea. Oh, I just moved it a little further to the side, my idea. Boom, I've got exactly the right solution to the problem and it's solved. And the person comes back and says, hey, I solved it with this and this thing. And other people say, oh, that's good to know. Next time when I run into a problem, I can solve it straight away. That's good. But he wouldn't have found the solution without going out, having a coffee, just chill out and and uh, defocus practically from not being able to solve, running against the wall, to actually talk about what the problem is with others. If you're doing this on Zoom and other things, it's partly possible, I think, but it's not. Still, it needs this human interaction of, of being casual and that. And that's the thing. Like even like if you're sitting somewhere in a coffee, in a, in a cafe or something, that, that you can do as well. But it's still not quite the same way as if you meet up um, somewhere in the in the coffee break area or that of your company. And for that, you have to be able to meet other people. And that brings us actually then back again to the idea: if I am using this as a big important area to meet up and, and to build new sustainability. I should have, of course, as well, things like my coffee or my tea or that kind of stuff there as well with sustainable um, principles because there's no point otherwise being everything sustainable. And then in your coffee break area, you have the most unsustainable <laughs> products that you then consume. Yeah, Christian, I think it's right. I mean, I think, think, I think for knowledge workers, sometimes we forget that we do have an impact right? Mm -hmm. Whether coffee or office products or those sorts of things. And I think, you know, but that's also an opportunity to empower employees, right? You know, where they, you know, where they can work together with the company to figure out, you know, sort of workable solutions that are better, whether that's more sustainable coffee, maybe it's more environmentally friendly cleaning products, reduced printing and, you know, copying of things and that, that, that sort of thing. Exactly. And there's even uh, recently, because I have glasses, there's even a, you can buy these uh, ultrasonic uh, cleaners, uh, machines, and for that, they are, exist as well liquids to, to like detergents or like that, or that kind of way. And even that you can buy as a bio version, biosustainable version, which isn't full with all these unhealthy chemicals that pollute the, the earth or when it goes down the pipes and so on. And that shows that even in those areas, you can. There are plenty of products, alternative to products that are not sustainable, who actually damage the environment, and uh, are exactly against what we'd want to have. Especially if you have a company and you say, "I have this purpose, and this and this and this." I can't say I have this purpose and I do my work, but under the table, it looks like a whole garbage unit uh, <laughs> of the most unsustainable stuff. And even if I do my my coffee break, I'm. Everybody decides, okay, we don't want to buy this and this product because as long as they don't do it properly sustainable, we don't have it. Everybody agrees. But underneath, uh, I can't clean my floors with unsustainable stuff that just uh, <laughs> kills the environment. It doesn't make sense. So you'd have to actually start at one point and go through step by step and say, okay, we don't, we don't waste paper or if we use it, we can use it as, we can go shred it and use it as recycling material and so on. That's, for instance, when you look at all these e-commerce businesses, some of them actually recycle the old um, cartons. 
of, mm-hmm. of, of the parcels and so on. For instance, I think Amazon does that. They have these special machines where they put all the, the cartons in when they've got the when people have returned items. They take them, of course, out of the cartons and then they, they put all these cartons into these shredders and make out those that again special recycling material that you use if you are, for instance, shipping something that's a bit more heavier, more bulkier. And then it's a bit tougher protection, but it's at least doing something and not just putting it in some container and then burning it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, mm-hmm. Because they're anyway using so much carton, shipping all the items, but at least the stuff that comes back to be useful, sensible, at least to give it a second life cycle before it actually delivers or is put into the paper recycling centers. Because it's yeah. an easy way. Yeah, you know, I mean, you know, one thing, one framework that we are using right now to improve some of these issues, Christian, that your your listeners may be interested in is B Corp. Um, mm-hmm. And B Corp is, is started as a movement of, of sort of benefit corporations that are trying to have purpose and do good in the world. But what they do is they give a really robust framework for managing these issues, everything from cleaning supplies to vendors to you know, you name it, um, mm-hmm. across a company. And and we've been going, I, I say this because we're working on our certificate B Corp certification as we speak. And mm-hmm. we found it enormously helpful for uncovering these things and then developing an action plan for dealing with them. Mm-hmm. And the certification, is that uh, something that's in only in the US or is it as well in Canada, Europe? Uh, All over the world. All okay. over the world. So, you know, for example, uh, Denon, um, you know, which is obviously a, a big player in Europe, but a, a significant player here in the U.S. Um, and globally, is, is is registered as a B Corp. Um, and they're they're you know they're they're a great example. Mm-hmm. That's that's really good because there's so much that can be improved just by making sometimes small efforts, and that leads to a big big change. So it's been really great having you here on the show and getting some insights into all these topics around corporate sustainability. But um, if people want actually want to get in contact with you, Steve, and want to know more on that, how can they get in contact with you? How can they find out more about what you do and, and how you can help them? Sure. So um, first off, you can always reach us through uh, through my reach me through my company. That's uh, Resonance, uh, and the website is resonanceglobal.com. I'm also on LinkedIn and very active, and you know would love to hear from from listeners. And then uh, lastly, the thing I would point out is if you're interested in some of the cross sector partnerships and collaboration that we started to talk about at the beginning of the show. Um, I've written a book. It's called Partner with Purpose, and you can find it on Amazon or uh, at your at your local bookstore. Cool, that's really good. Uh, Partner with Purpose. Yes, that's a really good title. Absolutely fits the time. <laughs> <laughs> great, it was great having you here, and yeah, I'm sure we'll be talking in the future as well. Again, about similar things. And um, yeah, um, I'm sure I'll be taking some time as well to eventually read that book as well. Sounds really, really good. Well, thank you, Christian. I, I'm really grateful for the time. And uh, yeah, let, let's keep the conversation going.
I hope you enjoy today's episode of The Growth Zone with Christian Barge. Thank you for listening. Please leave a review or rating here on iTunes or on podchaser.com. If you found the content helpful, then share it on social media. I would like to invite you to follow our show so that you don't miss the upcoming interviews with leaders in the market. Simply visit the website follow.prmediareach.com. I will be adding the link also to the description of this episode so that you just need to click on that link. For those of you who are listening and signing up to follow the show, I have reserved a free copy of the ultimate guide on content marketing. This is the strategy that got me top corporate clients like McDonald's, Linde, Hewlett-Packard, Deutsche Bank, Volvo and many others. That strategy has been working for over 10 years. It also got me contracts with police, transport authorities, military and several universities and even leading research institutes. For sure, it also worked wonders as it got me many small, medium-sized entrepreneurs and enterprises as clients. And that even included international clients from all around the world. The link to sign up for our free broadcasting service and the guide is follow.prmediareach.com. That will give you access to the most recent version of my ultimate guide on content marketing. You can follow me as well on Twitter by using the Twitter handle CAPBarge. That's spelled Charlie Alpha Papa Bravo Alpha Romeo Tango Sierra Charlie Hotel. Yes, that is CAPBarge. Charlie, Alpha, Papa, Bravo, Alpha, Romeo, Tango, Sierra, Charlie, Hotel.